0: Please take your seats and turn with me in your Bible to Jude. Jude is found on page 1,405 of the Pew Bible. And we have a short reading from this short letter. We're going to read verses 1 to 4. So listen, this is God's word. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints." For certain men have crept in on notice, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. May God bless to us the reading of his word. Well, this past year I invested in a hummingbird feeder. And we have had a few visitors come to our hummingbird feeder. Hummingbirds, as you know, they migrate in the wintertime to the sunnier climates of Central America. And then they return back north to Indiana in the summer. Now, many of us are tempted to do the same, escape the harsh winters and go to sunnier climates. Well, another animal in our neighborhood that we are not feeding, but our neighbors are feeding is that of white-tailed deer. They don't migrate in winter. Instead, they adapt to the winter. They slow down their metabolism to retain more fat. Their coats, they become thicker so they can trap more body heat. They dig through the snow to get at food, and they change their diet to eat almost anything to get through the winter. Well, in a changing climate, How do you respond? And I'm not referring to physical climate, instead this changing spiritual climate. We are living in a new season, as often described as living in a post-Christian era. We're under pressure to conform to this world, and we're tempted to fly away, just like those hummingbirds, to find an easier, more comfortable place to live as a Christian. I said, I want you to see that you are to stay and you are to contend for the gospel. Just like the deer that remains and aggressively eats whatever they can find in our yards during hard winters, you too are to be earnest in your stand for Christ. So let's consider from our reading in Jude that in a changing climate, contend earnestly for the, the faith. That's because Christ is your Lord. He will preserve you. So firstly, heed the testimony of a skeptic transformed to a servant, verse 1a. So we have here a letter written by Jude, also known as Judas, but not Judas Iscariot. Well, who was this Jude? In verse 1, we read that he is a brother of James, but he's also the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And we read of this in Mark chapter 6, that Jesus had a number of brothers, James, Jose, Judas, and Simon. In the New Testament, we see a transformation in the life of Jude. Initially, he and his brothers, they rejected Jesus. In John 7, we read that even his brothers did not believe in him. They were not convinced of who he was, that he is the Christ. Mark helps us see what they really thought. Mark 3, verse 21. They went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. So Jesus' brothers did not, including Jude, they did not believe in Jesus. But then, after Jesus ascended to heaven, we read of the apostles meeting in the upper room in Jerusalem. And we read that Jesus' brothers were with them. And so a transformation has taken place. Jude goes from unbelief, doubting that Jesus is the Messiah, to now being with his disciples and declaring in verse 1 that he is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He is a slave of Christ. And so God worked in his life. He now submits to Christ as one of his servants. Now, it maybe seems strange that Jude didn't declare that he is a physical half-brother of Christ, he doesn't want that to be a distraction. His sibling relationship to Christ isn't the reason for him being a believer. If anything, Jude ignored the privilege he had of growing up with the Savior of the world. He didn't believe in his brother until after his death and resurrection. And so, salvation is not a result of who you are related to. You can't claim to be a Christian because your parents are Christians or because you're part of a Christian family. And this is important for you young people to recognize. Yes, just like Jude, you are in a privileged position. You might not have Christ as your half-brother, but you are surrounded by God's people, whether it's your family or whether it's your church family here. You're privileged to see the work of God in his people. You're privileged to have God's word taught to you. It's been described like finding hidden treasure. So boys and girls, what would you do if you knew you had hidden treasure in your backyard? Well, you would look for it until you find it. Well, likewise, you do have treasure in your life. And you're not to ignore this privilege, but you are to look for it so that you too know Christ. Well, thankfully, Jude did not forsake his privilege, but he responded to it. And likewise, you are to follow the example of Jude and put your trust in Christ, your Savior. Well, secondly, remember your identity is in Christ. So who is Jude writing to? It's not simply churchgoers. No, Jude reminds them of who they are as believers. All believers are called by God. And that call, it involves the outward call of the gospel— where you hear someone preaching to you, appealing to you to put your trust in Christ. That might have happened here in church, or whether it's from a family member or from a friend, or it might have been when you're reading God's Word alone. But for that call to take effect, the Holy Spirit must be working in your hearts, regenerating your hearts, converting you. And so there is this outward general call and then there is the inward effectual call and Jesus said this when he said for many are called but few are chosen and so this calling is radical this call it interrupts your life from once living in darkness to now living in the light of God and so this is not simply waiting on God to call you no your natural condition is that of deadness you have no desire for God but God calls you from the deadness of your sin to life in Christ. One writer said this, Jude refers to his correspondents as those who have been called because it was not they who decided to follow Jesus, but God who reached out to them to call them to his service. And not only did God call you from all eternity, but we read, He has sanctified you, he has set you apart because of his love for you. You are his treasured possession, his beloved. You've been loved from all eternity. And it's in the perfect tense, meaning it's already happened. This love will not change. When we love, it's often fickle. We are easily distracted. And if someone doesn't love us, well, rarely will we respond in love to them. Instead, we grow cold toward them. But God has shown his love to you, to his people, and nothing will separate you from God's love. Finally, Jude says, we are preserved. Again, this is in the perfect tense. It speaks of security. We often talk about keeping or taking something for safekeeping. Well, God has taken you, and he will keep you. You are secure. When you walk across the road with your child, you hold their hand. And when they let go, you hold on. You won't let them go. You keep them secure. And likewise, we are in God's hands. And he won't let go. And so, what a privileged position to be in as one of God's people. You are called, and so the result is you're loved. You're in the safe keeping of Jesus Christ. But Jude goes on and prays that we would know this reality in an inward, personal way. Sometimes we forget these blessings, and the emotions inside us, they speak louder than this truth. Well, Jude therefore prays that we would know the mercy, peace, and love that is from God. So we were once enemies of God, but God has shown his mercy to us by not punishing us. And so instead, we now know peace with God. As a result, we are in a loving relationship with him. How often do you forget these blessings? How often do you grow discouraged? Well, a big problem for many Christians is that of having an identity crisis when you place your identity on other things. Adam Peaty, a British Olympian swimmer who has been speaking about his faith in God, said this about swimming. As athletes, we expect a gold medal to fix all our problems because that's the only thing we care about. But as soon as you realize it doesn't fix anything, it can be the coldest thing because you have sacrificed so much. His identity was in swimming and in gaining a gold medal. Well, what have you placed your identity in? What goals are you seeking to attain to gain meaning in your life. Now, it can be good things, but if it's not Christ, then you are going to be distracted from the blessings that you know in him. And so Jude's prayer is a prayer that you should pray for yourself. You should pray for one another, that you would know the mercy, peace, and love of God because you have been called and you are sanctified and preserved. So this is who you are. This is your identity. Well, then thirdly, you are to contend earnestly for the faith. Jude had planned to write a very different letter than the one in your hands. He wanted to write on the topic of salvation. And we get a flavor of this, or what we get a flavor of what this letter might have looked like by these introductory comments on the salvation that we as believers enjoy in verses one and two. But he puts that on hold And he instead writes out of necessity this letter of warning and challenge. Notice it's to his beloved. He loves these fellow believers. And so out of love and concern for them, he wants them to see the imminent danger that they are in. And Jude's call to action is relevant to us living in this changing spiritual climate. There are dangers ahead that could engulf the church on the 14th of April, 1912, two lookouts were situated in the crow's nest of the Titanic. And near the end of their shift, they spotted an iceberg right in front of them. one of the lookouts, they rang the bell before picking up the telephone to call the bridge to tell them, Iceberg, right ahead. But their call for action was too late. Moments later, the Titanic collided with the iceberg And hours later, it would be at the bottom of the North Atlantic. Sadly, this warning from Jude can come too late. For while we are secure, as we have considered, we should not be misled to think that individual churches or even denominations are secure. I'm sure we can think of churches and denominations that have come and are now gone. We should not think that because Bloomington Reformed Presbyterian Church has been here for 200 years, that we will be here for another 200 years. The only reason that we've been here for so long is because previous generations, they have heeded this call to contend for the faith. And so God has graciously blessed them for doing so. And so for us to continue for another 200 years, it will only happen if we heed Jude's warning to contend earnestly for the gospel. And so this is a battle cry. This is a call to stand firm and defend the faith. And faith here doesn't mean general faith. It's not a call for religious freedom. In Scotland, there are lots of sites of where the Covenanters were martyred. And on those sites are markers to mark the place where the battles took place or where a Covenanter met his death. And on many of these markers, there are plaques that said that they died believing in religious freedom and that's not correct. Yes they wanted freedom to worship God without a king or without a bishop dictating to them but it wasn't for general religious freedom. No they were contending earnestly for the faith of the good news of Jesus Christ. They believed that only through him is their salvation. Likewise the faith that Jude refers to here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jude says it was once and for all delivered for all the saints. Well, this speaks of it being the message of the apostles. From 1 John, we are to believe the testimony of the apostles because they have seen and heard and touched the risen Christ. And so we are to believe the message that they have declared. And they didn't partly deliver it, But they delivered it once and for all. It's complete. Judah's saying you are to be confident that you have the full message. It's being delivered to the saints, meaning it's being entrusted to your care. It is for you to declare and proclaim. And we know from the experience of the apostles, this was not an easy task. Bar John, they all died in their proclamation of the gospel. And so to contend for the faith, it is difficult. The word contend comes from the verb to agonize. And Paul used this verb in our spiritual warfare. When you fight the good fight or when you run the race. Some of you young folk enjoy running. And when you run, you have to run through the agony that you are feeling in your legs. You can't stop until you get over the finish line. You endure the suffering to win the race. Well, that is what Jude means to contend earnestly for the faith. It will cost you. It will cost you your time or your energy, your money, your reputation. It will cost you in your work or in university when you're seen to be out of step with what culture deems as acceptable. And so are you willing to endure the agony by faithfully proclaiming the gospel? And so this is a call to fight. Fight for the truth of God to be known in this world. Contending for the faith means we are to be on the offensive. You're part of an army. And like any army, there are different responsibilities. It's not that we all contend for the faith in the same way. Some are called to preach and teach. Others are called to support the preaching of the gospel. In 3 John, there's the example of Gaius. And he contended earnestly for the gospel when he showed hospitality to visiting preachers who preached the faith. And so you are to contend for the gospel, even by your attendance here at church and at Sunday school. Not only are you benefiting from the worship of God, but you're supporting the worship of God by your attendance. Parents, you are to contend for the faith by faithfully teaching your children the gospel. You contend for the gospel by your passion to see God's grace preached to the nations, to see family and friends come to know the Lord. And so you are to support the work of evangelism and missions. The biggest encouragement from Synod this past week has to be that of the missions that our denomination is involved in. Our missionaries. They are actively contending for the faith in some very difficult lands across this world. They are sharing the gospel, and they're seeing growth as a result. Sadly, back at home, we are preoccupied with secondary issues. Jude is not telling us to contend for exclusive psalmody. He's not even con- telling us to condemn for Reformed Presbyterianism. Well, it's not that we don't believe in these things, but it's not to be the focus. We're not to be majoring on the minor issues. No, we are to be contending for the faith. You're to bring the gospel to your family, to your friends. You're to speak the truth and love to them. So how will you earnestly contend for the faith and where God has placed you? Well, fourthly, and finally, beware of false teachers who change the gospel and so deny Christ as Lord. Well, we see why it's necessary for Jude to write, because he's heard that certain men have come into the church, and they've crept in unnoticed. This description of how they got into the churches, like how a snake would enter a building. They wormed their way in. These men got in by deceit. They pretend to be orthodox. These men cause more destruction in the church than any outward attack. So when the state persecutes the church, often we see the church resisting the attacks and becoming bolder as a result. But when false teachers worm their way in and change the gospel, they often cause a lot of damage. Jude says they were marked out for condemnation, meaning God predicted that there would be these false teachers who would come, and God would judge them for their deceit and their false teaching. And this is helpful for us to see the end result. Those who rebel against God, they are bound for destruction. So do not be tempted to follow them. Well, what is wrong with these men? Well, Jude says they are ungodly. Ungodly means they do not revere God. They are not even believers. They are in it for what they can gain. Whether it's money, whether it's power, whether it's prestige. And that is as common today as it was back in Jude's day. These men aren't concerned to see the spread of the gospel. They do not love the flock. that is under their care to see them grow in their faith. No, instead, they love themselves. And Jude gives us an idea of what they were teaching when he said that they turned the grace of God into lewdness. They led people away by teaching that grace is a license to sin, that because the gospel gives you freedom, they taught that you can live however you want, for Christ will simply forgive you. That's not the gospel. It's a perversion of the faith. Another danger is we pendulum swing from seeing the gospel as a license to sin to see that the gospel is all about obeying the law. That yes, the gospel gets you saved, but that you continue the Christian life by obeying the law. And that's wrong. That is legalism when we seek to live the Christian life without God's grace. That as long as we are obeying God, then... He's bound to bless us. Now, that's changing the relationship that we have with God from a gracious relationship to a transactional relationship where we are making demands of God. It results in us comparing and competing with other believers as to who is more deserving. So when we behave in either way, whether it's being licentious, whether it's being legalistic, we are saying that we are Lord. And that God is to serve us. We're making ourselves the judge, and we use the law to our own advantage. But Jude warns us in verse 4 that in doing so, you are denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You're ignoring the fact that all authority belongs to Him, that He is the judge, He is the master, He is King. And so He has to say, what happens in your life. So when you see Christ for who he is as your Lord and sustainer, well, you seek to give him the honor and glory that he deserves. You don't seek your own glory. And this helps prevent you from going from one extreme of licentiousness or the other extreme of legalism. Jesus helpfully taught the parable of the prodigal son It's often been said that this parable should be better known as or renamed as the parable of the compassionate father. There are two sons. One is lost in his open rebellion, but the other is equally lost in his performance of seeking to obey the father, to please his father. But the father is the one who shows compassion to them both, even though neither deserved it. And so when you see the Lord God as your compassionate Father, you will contend earnestly for the faith, recognizing that Christ is your Lord, and he is the one who preserves you. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father God, we do thank you for this calling that you've placed in our lives. We thank you for how you have brought us from darkness to light. We thank you for how you've opened our eyes to see that you are the Lord God. And Lord, that we would respond just like Jude and see ourselves as your servants. And Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that we have in you. We thank you that you've shown us your mercy and your peace and your love. We thank you for this new identity that we have in you. And so forgive us, Lord, when we place our identity in other things that will not satisfy Instead, that we would remember our identity in you means we are secure in you, that you will preserve us. And so as a result, Lord, help us to earnestly contend for the gospel, uh, where you placed us in, in our family, with our friends, in this community here in Bloomington, Lord, that you would use us to be a light in the darkness. That we would point people uh, to the truth that we would not be uh, distracting in terms of bringing before them secondary issues instead, that it would be the gospel. And so we pray that you'd help us. And Lord, help us to be aware of falsehoods like legalism or licentiousness. Help us to be able to see that and instead focus on you, recognizing that you are our Lord, you are our compassionate Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn your psalm book to Psalm 96D. Psalm 96D, this psalm recognizes it is the Lord who deserves the glory. And we bow down before him. He is the one who reigns. He is the one who judges. We read of how he governs in truth and faithfulness. And since this is the case, and since you are one of his servants, you must contend earnestly for the faith. Let's stand and sing Psalm 96D.